Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Christmas time and people are gathered around their fireplaces watching Hallmark holiday movies with their loved ones, drinking some eggnog and filled with holiday cheer. But in this household, we watch movies where people are attacked, trampled, manic, and showing a clear disregard for the safety of the general public. No bah humbugs for us though, because jingle all the way is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And it is the holiday season. And when the snow falls and the presents are under the tree and I have zero desire to drive in the outside world because people in Canada forget that they live in Canada and they don't know how to drive anymore. It's time to watch a Christmas movie. And here to join me for our holiday festivities is the one and only Lau Rabashal. Lau, welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? Doing just great. Doing awesome. Excited to be here again. How can you not be in the Christmas spirit when you're on this show? Okay, so I have a very quick question here for you. Okay. When you pitched the movie that we are about to talk about, Jingle All the Way, what was more shocking? The fact that this movie qualifies or the fact that up until researching this episode, I have never watched this film. It's the fact that you have never watched this film. I don't think it's ever happened since I've known, it's been like two or three years I've known you now, and I've (laughs) never mentioned a movie that you haven't seen, and I have, so I take it as a badge of honor that I've seen this before (laughs) you, honestly. It's one of those things where I knew of its existence, and I, I will admit that there have been times when I have looked at a cover of a movie and maybe been pre-biased about the film for different reasons. Uh, I can sum that up in two words here, starring Sinbad, but (laughs) (laughs) normally that's a good excuse to kind of steer clear of the film. But I will admit, I had a good time watching this one. It is more fun than people give it credit for. It's a little dated now. It's Arnold. So you know it's good. You have to kind of check your brain at the door to some degree. Like I was saying before we started recording, this is actually my favorite um, Arnie movie. A lot of people will chastise me for that. Don't get me wrong. I love Predator. Don't come for me. But I, I think that he is at his most hilarious and most entertaining at this movie. I mean, I get the same response whenever I say that one of my favorite uh, Stallone movies of all time is Oscar. And people sit there and go, hmm. Yeah. But I mean, we prefaced it at the beginning of the show. There's something wrong with me to begin with, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, But we're about to go into a little bit of Christmas time, a little Christmas cheer. But before we do, before we get into Jingle All the Way, it is time to take this holiday film and trailerize it. In Poltergeist, the terror struck from within the TV. In the ring, The danger came out of the TV. In Jingle All The Way, Howard Langston will wish he never bought a TV. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a man who cares too much about his work, forgets everything his family asks of him, and lies to his loved ones incessantly. In this somehow not a documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger that celebrates the pain and agony of holiday consumerism, he'll commit assault, deal in black market goods, trespass, break, and enter, commit thievery, arson, and cause bodily harm to Santa Claus himself, all for one toy that his kid will surely break within two months. But he's not alone, because with the amount of people lining up to do last minute shopping, we can only assume that Minnesota is filled with bad parents. Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in Jingle All the Way, rated PG for presents and gifts. <laughs> okay, that got me. <laughs> Presents and gifts. Right? Well, I'm sitting there like, what the hell can PG stand for? Oh, wait, it's freaking Christmas. Presents and presents gifts. Presents and gifts. That's the whole movie is presents and gifts. Right? Now, I'm I'm not going to lie. As I was watching this film, I had to sit there and think, was there ever a toy that either my kids really, really wanted like like to the ends of the world or that I ever wanted to the ends of the world? And I don't think, for me, nothing ever came up, but... My lovely wife, Carrie, watched this film with me while we were researching this. And instantly she's like, oh, so it's the Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh, yeah, because I remember I of course, it was a little before my time, but I remember when those came out, that was the mad scramble. That was the thing. Everybody was searching for them. Stores were out. People were on waiting lists a mile long. For me, actually, when I watched this, I it was the Nintendo Wii. Mm. I I vividly remember my parents checking every single store the Christmas that the Wii came out to find one. It came down to my dad having to drive about an hour and a half out of town to find it at a superstore, which is a grocery chain. But for some reason, they had two Wiis in their tiny little cell phone kiosk they had in the middle of it. And that's where he ended up getting it. But it was something like this. It was chasing all the way all across the province trying to find this one little plastic thing. Actually, I distinctly remember my wife um, fighting through, like, numerous stores in order to be able to find, like, the NES retro system that had the games built into it recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. They released that. That was a big one, too, because they only put out so many of those as well. Yeah. And once they were out, they were done. They never did a second run of it. And that's that's I think that's kind of lost today because so many things when they come out, you know, well, they'll just be making more. Whereas back in the day, there were toys that came out that were awesome. And you only had one run of them. It was one holiday push. And then after that, they would never make another new one again. Yeah. And then that's the thing, too. Like, the other thing, too, these days is that you know that, that people are just going to buy them up and then just sell them on eBay. Like, they, they don't care about them. They're just out there to make a buck. But before we get into the starring and the almost starring here, it needs to be pointed out. Uh, first of all, spoilers like a mofo. But if you haven't seen this film by now... Um, Welcome to my world, but I've seen it now, so I'm off the list. But apparently, Funko had made a Turbo Man doll exactly like the one you see in the movie. You can now buy one on Amazon for about 118 bucks. $118? Yeah. That's that's Turbo Time. 
That, exactly, right? Uh, however, that being said, there's a toy that Sinbad mentions in this film. Like when they're at the scene where they're sitting at the at the the little deli, the, the, not the little deli there, but, you know, the little restaurant. And he's talking about the Johnny 7 OMA toy. That actually existed. I was wondering that because on my rewatch for this, I was looking kind of, I was nitpicking a little bit more than I usually do. I nitpick all movies, Mm -hmm. but with the Christmas ones, I usually only watch this during the holidays and I'm kind of checked out for it most of the time because I'm at my folks place. But with this one, I actually kind of paid attention and I was looking and that's what I started to think when they were running through the toy store and there's so many other products on the shelves. I always thought to myself, is that actually a toy of the time? Or are these those props that they make for the movie where it's just like name brand here or something like that? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like Turbo Man, that was made for the film. But the Johnny 7 OMA, by the way, OMA stands for One Man Army. Uh, it was basically like a like a fake machine gun that, that went, transformed into seven different types of weapons. I found one on an auction site online. It was a real toy that was made in the 60s. $450. Oh my God, Jason. That's almost as much as like a PlayStation 5. Right? Like it's it's ridiculous. But I mean, that's the thing. Like if that toy right now is, and you do the math, 60 years old-ish, then it's like, yep, it's, it's a collector's item, obviously. It's like when you watch A Christmas Story and Ralphie talks about the BB gun and you look at some of the prices of those Daisy Air rifles now, mm-hmm. and they're straight up like golden collector's items. You got like $1,000, $2,000 for some of those toys. I mean, I do feel bad for parents who who went through this process of trying to find that toy. I mean, I'm sure there are parents watching this and they're still suffering from post-tickle me Elmo sin, you know, stress disorder. So, <laughs> the, Oh my goodness, I had two of those. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wanted one. Everyone wanted that tickle me Elmo. That, that, that's the last time I remember a toy, not a video game system, but a toy having that kind of effect on the Christmas shopping public. And it's true because nowadays the new thing is video games. Now the new hot item every year for Christmas is usually a video game. And nine times out of 10, you can just buy them digitally. So I think we're very much moving away from the trend of what, that's why I kind of, I love this movie is because it's a time capsule in a way of this is how Christmas used to be black Friday, especially this is like, this is black Friday. Um, time right now for shopping but there used to be a time where you'd see people lining up outside the stores because they're looking for that one thing the one thing on the list that one physical item nowadays if you can't find it in the store there's amazon and there's uh the actual digital storefronts of whatever system your children have and i think it's kind of moved us away from this trampling each other to death over a piece of plastic which is a good thing at the same time you need to have that conflict darn it you gotta i want to go to walmart and i want to fear for my life again that's the thing, like, like even when you think about Black Friday sales, and, and, you know, dear listeners, understand that you're listening to this in December, but we're recording this actually on Black Friday right now. So uh, that gives you a little bit of the mindset of where we're at at this moment of, of when we're putting this to tape. But the thing is, I remember when it used to be like an annual tradition of seeing the crowds trampling over each other in stores like Best Buy and stuff like that on Black Friday because people would, you know, line up at the stores. And now you just freaking click on amazon and you know apparently jeff bezos is saving lives on black friday and uh, as a four-year veteran of retail in a mall uh i've worked plenty of black fridays at the record store that i used i used to be uh, an employee of hmv uh before it went under and black friday at the mall even not that long ago that was only five or six years ago it was still complete insanity today i was in a mall 
for Black Friday. I went in just to look around and see what, what deals were on. The deals are crazier still in person than they are online, but there wasn't nearly as many people. I went to two or three stores and there was no line and it was like five or six o'clock. I was expecting to be, like I said, you know, going in there armored up, ready to fight for my life. And we were very surprised that it actually wasn't that busy. Yeah, no, the gone are the days when like, you know, the, the security fences are being knocked down, you know, with like two minutes to go before opening. And you're seeing it on the news and it looks like day of the dead. Everyone's like at their hands up on the window outside. And like, it's, it, it used to be complete madness in there. Yeah. I, I started to question humanity around black Friday and around Christmas time, but apparently we've gotten a little bit better. I remember two people were trampled to death when the PS3 came out in, I think it was in Canada that two people died in like full on trampling incidents in malls just because people were trying to burst through the doors and get them first. Oh yeah. No, it was savage. It was absolutely savage, but Thankfully, no one died in this film. At least no one died when I said that I hadn't watched this film. You're safe, right? You're good. Yes, I'm good. <laughs> Mark safe from Black Friday, 2023. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this film. The movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sinbad, Phil Hartman, Rita Wilson, Jake Lloyd, Robert Conrad, and a slew of familiar faces in smaller roles. And there is, of course, an almost starring in this one. In the role of Myron, Chris Columbus actually wanted Joe Pesci for this role, but he was deemed too short. And keep in mind, too, this is also coming off of, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger working with Danny DeVito. So I don't think they wanted to go back to that similar dynamic between the two. That makes sense. Yeah, because going straight from twins to this with Danny, it would it almost typecast both of them. It would typecast Arnold as somebody who only works with somebody greatly smaller than him. And it would be it would be way too similar, I think. And I I think Sinbad is the right person for this once you see it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, Phil Hartman, who is in the film, actually auditioned for the role of Myron, and they were like, no, 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 no. But then when he auditioned for the role of Ted, it's like, no, no, this is the perfect role. But also under consideration, Daniel Stern. But it was thought that it would be too close to his character Marv from the Home Alone movies. So I think you're right. I think Myron was the perfect role. Uh, I think Sinbad was the perfect person to play Myron. But those are still some decent names that were possibilities. It's interesting to me that they had both of the wet bandits try to audition for another Christmas movie. That's inter- if, if I was them, I would want to stay... You did a perfect one. Like Home Alone, to a lot of people, is the quintessential Christmas movie. Why would you? I, I just don't. I don't get why they would go to them. Like they've already done it perfectly. Let, let them be, kind of thing. Oh, exactly. Before we get to the role of Howard Langston, I'm going to bring this one up first. As the guy who was in the booster suit during the parade, uh, actually played by Curtis Armstrong, originally it was supposed to be Gilbert Gottfried. But he, he chose to do other things. And apparently when Curtis Armstrong was in the suit, they were like, just do your best Gilbert Gottfried imitation. And that's what he did when he was Booster. That makes so much sense now after rewatching it because it is a very Gilbert Gottfried voice that he puts on. I, I wish they would have got Gilbert, though. Anything with him is, is incredible. Get away to the damn crowd! He's so good. <laughs> and his Iago just has my heart forever. Okay, so in the role of Howard Langston, of course, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm going to go through this list one at a time. I want to I want to get your reaction to each of these names. Tim Allen. 
Ooh. See, I could see that. I could very, but now all I see him as is Santa Claus again. I mean, I'm amazed that there are so many people in the in the orbit of this movie that have gone on to or did before incredible Christmas movies. I could see Tim Allen as Howard, but not in hindsight now because he's he's so good in the Santa Claus movies. Chevy Chase. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think I could see him doing the more silly stuff, but I think Arnold really does strike that line of, like, a super business-oriented, like, just forgets about everything character, whereas Chevy Chase would... I, I would see Chevy Chase being more of the Myron, taking more Sinbad's role than he would be being Howard. Actually, I can kind of see that, too. Bill Murray. Oh, yeah, he's good in anything. Oh, you, yeah. You could, you could throw him anything, and he's going to at least try to make it work, and... Even Garfield was passable just because of his voice. I don't know if he could have done the level of physical comedy that this called for, though. And I think the reason that a lot of the physical comedy in this lands so well is because it's this gigantic cinder block of a man just bumbling his way through a shopping mall looking for an action figure. Bill Murray does look like a haggard 50-something-year-old dad that forgot it was Christmas. Like, he he, he looks almost too... <laughs> He looks almost too good for the part. Like, he's too perfect for it. Well, when you, when you think, too, you had Tim Allen, of course, in The Santa Claus. You've got Bill Murray, who was in Scrooge, you know, which is one of the best Christmas movies of all yes, time. incredible. Also, under consideration, talking about Christmas movies, he was in the movie Mixed Nuts. Steve Martin. Oh, see, now that I can 100% see. I think of all the names you just mentioned, if anybody I would like to see the movie redone with him, I think Steve Martin would have been fantastic. Because he does, he does look like a bit. He does strike that line for me a little bit better than the other names. And one last name, and this is the one I would have loved to have seen do it: Robin Williams. Oh my God, you've you've struck in my heart chords there. I, I, Robin Williams is probably one of my favorite actors, if not my favorite of all time. And anything he does, he takes over it. Like his fire completely catches on everything around him. So I can't help but think if it was him, this would have been. A hundred times well more well received, probably, and just way funnier. Oh you yeah, could, you could put him in any role, and he is going to make it something special. Even when he's bearded, sad Robin Williams, or if he's non-bearded, funny Robin Williams, everything is just is just so good. I'll never speak a bad word about Robin Williams. The movie was directed by Brian Levant, who previously to this had directed Beethoven. He also directed the Flintstones and the Flintstones sequel, which, sorry, there's a Flintstones sequel. And are we there yet? At the 1997 Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, Sinbad actually won for fave supporting actor in a family film. In at the 1997 Golden Camera Awards in Germany, Arnold Schwarzenegger won Best International Actor for this and Eraser. Now, that's the good. The bad, however, does exist. At the Razzies that year, Brian Levant was nominated for Worst Director. He lost to Andrew Bergman for Striptease, which I don't disagree with. And at the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, Rita Wilson was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. She lost to Jamie Gertz in Twister. Arnie was nominated for Worst Actor. He lost to Tom Arnold for three different movies, Big Bully, <laughs> Carpool, and The Stupids. All three of those came out in the same calendar year. Wow, that's almost impressive to put out. It's one thing to put out quality back-to-back-to-back, to back to back. It's almost more difficult to put out that much, 
low quality <laughs> back to back to back. <laughs> I, it should be noted that Tom Arnold's still putting out a lot of movies, just not good just ones. Just not great ones, yeah. Exactly. We're looking, for, we're looking for quantity, not quantity at this, or quantity, not quality at this stage of the career, I guess. That is like buying the cheapest 2-4 of watered down light beer, as opposed to buying only like a six pack of really good beer. Which I will never do. <laughs> exactly. And the movie was also nominated for most painfully unfunny comedy. It lost to Biodome. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I don't think anything should... I don't, there's, there's nothing more. I don't think there's very many things that should be Biodome for that award. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there were some bad movies nominated, but Biodome definitely kind of stands out amongst them. The film had a budget of $60 million, according to IMDb. Domestically, it made that money back, $60.5 million, and worldwide made $129.8 million. When it was released on the November 22nd, 1996 weekend, it debuted at number four with $12 million and was the second highest wide release debut that weekend. The biggest, and I don't disagree with this at all, Star Trek First Contact, which debuted <laughs> with $30.7 million. In between the two were Space Jam in its second week and Ransom in its third week. I didn't know it had to compete with Space Jam. That's interesting. Well, I mean, luckily Space Jam had already been out a week, but even still, yeah. 16.2 million in week two. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It, it did have some stiff competition, though. Oh, yeah. Coming out against anything Star or anything, Wars or Trek, you're going to be on a downward spiral in the beginning. But uh, Space Jam, wow, I completely forgot and spaced out that these two, that this came out that close to Space Jam. I love that movie as well. I mean, the other thing, too, is you have to understand that Star Trek First Contact is an even-numbered Star Trek film, so you knew it was going to be good. Oh, yeah. But the reason we are here, and not just because you mentioned this film, is the critic score. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 34, and over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is only 39%, and the tomatometer is 20. And it's not the lowest Christmas movie we have talked about on this show, but is 20 being a tad too harsh? I think it is. I think especially in hindsight, this movie is so much fun. Every year I, I go back and watch this and I don't really watch a lot of holiday movies. Like even in Christmas time, I'm not one of those people that'll just turn on the Hallmark channel and watch anything. I, I have some friends that are like that. But for me, I do. If I want to watch a holiday movie, I want it to at least be good. I don't want to sit there and feel like I'm wasting my time watching something that's just two hours of you know, somebody moves back from the big city, finds the person they've known since the fifth grade, and then they get married at the end, rinse and repeat for 35 movies, and you got yourself the Hallmark Channel. This is, I think, like I said, a time capsule of, like, what Christmas used to look like, consumerism-wise. And, like, it's it explores something that people don't necessarily talk about a lot when it comes to the holidays, and it's trying to get that one thing, and it's sold out. It's a reality that a lot of parents, when I was a kid, had to face and, you know, you don't want to disappoint the kids. So what lengths are you willing to go to to get that one thing? How far are you willing to go? And as we can see, you know, Howard, the bomb threats uh, derails an entire parade. Like it's I just think it's this fun little romp where it's this one dad trying to make up for being a bumbling idiot at times. And he almost destroys like half the town trying to do it. I think it's great. I think it's definitely not. Uh, held in as high regard as it should be, especially in hindsight. It's one of those movies, I think, that could definitely 
be called a cult favorite now. I know more people than just me that agree with that too. I mean, let's be honest. Every year, Hallmark puts out an obscene Tom Arnold level of number of movies every year. You know, like 20, 20 movies a year with about five different actresses. That's kind of what it feels like because it's yeah. usually the same ones all doing the movies because they're under contract. Like, And there was this and, big and thing. And it's cookie cutter. They, they know how to make their money because a lot of them are filmed in the East Coast of Canada. Newfoundland specifically has like three or four different Hallmark movies filmed there a year and they start like as soon as Christmas is over in January, they start filming for next year's crop because they know they are going to have tens of thousands of people that just park themselves in front of the TV in mid November, turn the Hallmark channel on, don't turn it off until January hits. I mean, it, it's a bit of a comfort level. I get it. It's kind of like, yeah. you, know, you know, every year you kind of get the same things, right? Uh, you get some radio stations that start playing all Christmas, Christmas music all the time. You have the slew of channels that all of a sudden we're like, nope, now it's time you're going to watch a fireplace for seven days straight, which kind of nice. Depends on the fireplace, I guess. Uh, you know, and then, yes, you get the feel good hallmark cookie cutter. Everyone gets a happy ending kind of romantic movie. It's not a bad thing, but I kind of miss these kind of madcap movies. So let's get into this one here. I'm going to start with Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Howard Langston. How was he for you? I think there was nobody else that could do this and do it and do it as entertaining and as funny as he did. Because like I said, it's, it's a fish out of water situation, which Arnold is good at a lot of the stuff he's in that he isn't playing a militant or he isn't playing a police officer or something. A lot of the other stuff he's in is, oh, he's just a suburban dad. He just so happens to be, you know, six foot whatever and a gigantic, you know, the con, the son of a mountain and a black rhinoceros looking guy, just giant form. But in this one, it seems like he really put his weight behind it just because of the level of physical comedy and the level, the level of comedy throughout that stays consistent. This movie's funny to me beginning to end which is hard to do for a lot of things to hold your attention and still make you laugh throughout the whole thing but from everything from like i said when he's fighting with sinbad in the mall and like trying to get that one ball out of the ball pit to when he's trying to keep ted uh phil hartman's character from getting with his wife and the put the cookie down now in the payphone <laughs> like it's hilarious and i don't think it would have been as funny if it was anybody but arnold i think some of the comedy movies that he was in, it, de- it definitely played on his strengths. I mean, you think about Kindergarten Cop, which is, to me, Kindergarten Cop is probably his most quotable comedy film. I mean, come on, how many times have you sit there goes, Datatuma? Um, <laughs> you know, Twins, of course, played on the the differences between Arnold Schwarzenegger and, um, and Danny DeVito. You know, Junior was there, but not as good. But I think with this one, it was. It was more of a, you know, more of a slapstick type humor and that's i don't know if i was quite ready for that from him kind of in the same way that i wasn't ready for shorts or for stallone in oscar in more of a stage style comedy type film and i don't know if i think it worked or not like obviously it's gonna be hard to beat kindergarten cop kindergarten cop is a freaking classic and and personally probably his best comedy movie as a whole because he was perfect for that role and i think this is the kind of movie now like if you did jingle all the way now you probably have like john cena in it that seems to be kind of like the you know yeah the passing of the torch really, at that point 
that's a really good comparison. I could 1,000% see this movie coming out and either having Dwayne Johnson or John Cena in the starring role. And it would be the exact same script. I could see this same script playing out today just with a video game, like we said, or with some like new technological, an iPhone. You could do an iPhone 15 and have John Cena be trekking all around like Chicago or something looking for one. And you could keep pretty well the exact same script and do the same movie. I agree. Oh, yeah. The thing is, I don't know if the script worked well for him in the comedy sense but this but the scenarios he found himself in like there were beats that worked and and beats that didn't um you know the santa claus beatdown that was tailor-made for arnold schwarzenegger um but there were other parts where of course he's like you know trying to race sinbad down the street in order to be able to you know get to their cars in enough time you know the part where he's like running backwards clearly he's in better shape than myron is at this point um that felt a little flat, but you know, you had a good ebb and flow at least. There was also a lot of times where the weaker parts for me is when you can tell they're looking for a bit of subtlety from him. They're looking for facial expressions to tell the story. He only kind of has three. And a lot of the time when he's like trying to look stressed out, it just ends up him doing and like doing the big wide eyed stare that he does in total recall. Like there was two or three times where he's driving the car when he gets pulled over, he does that face. And on this rewatch, I was like, try to keep track of how many times he makes the total recall face and i think i stopped at like 25 because whenever he's supposed to look like concerned that's the look he he ends up with that wide-eyed like ah that kind of thing so whenever they're looking for subtlety from him they don't get it but i i agree with you when it does feel like it's more slapstick a friend of mine when i brought up that this was the movie we were doing on the show uh he said to me that it feels like an hour and a half long three stooges sketch without the stooges and i was like that is so bang on it's kind of scary because this does feel like a three stooges scenario for sure I or can, a bunch of them stitched together to make a christmas movie i can see that like very clearly when you think about those those old three stooges sketches like and even the three stooges movie that they did you know like more recently with different actors playing the three stooges um and i'm sure i'm sure we're gonna go down that road at some point because i know carrie loves that film but the thing is the slapstick and the physical humor works because he is of large physical imposing, but you're right. I think it's when it relies on him and facially, I think that's where it kind of lost me. Although there is another scene in that, that that did actually lose me, but we'll get to that in a bit. Myron Larrabee as played by Sinbad also as played by Sinbad. Um, how was he for you? I think it was great, but it's it's a time capsule for Sinbad, obviously. Like, he was relevant at the time. It was a big get then. But I love the character. Myron as a character, I really love. And I think it would have been easy for a lot of different people to play him. Just a super cynical, mad-at-the-world mailman who thinks his job is way more important than it actually is. He does that whole rant when they're in the diner about how they're sucking children's brains out. And, like, they don't care who's out there delivering the mail seven days a week in the rain and like he's so cynical about a job that you just don't expect it it was surprising because obviously when i watched it as a kid i didn't know who sinbad was i didn't realize like kind of the 90s uh popularity that he had i just knew him from this movie i didn't even knew he did music or anything so looking back on it i think if he did a good enough job to make me remember him from this movie not having been familiar with any of his other career stuff i think that means he did a good job See, that rant that he did outside the store, like early on, that felt to me like it needed to be a Dennis Leary performance. 
Yeah. Like it just, there's so, there's real anger there. I don't know where he found it, but there seems to be like real undertones there of, of anger. And apparently they let him improvise a lot on set. Like a lot of those lines, apparently it's just like, all right, just do a riff. And then, you know, we'll just let Arnie kind of react to you. So obviously they knew that Sinbad as a stand-up comedian, as well as an actor was going to be able to pull that off kind of thing. But I think the problem yeah. here is that aside from the scene in the diner, there really isn't a moment where Myron gives me reason to feel bad for him. And that that is the one thing I actually have written down, too, is that obviously you're supposed to feel bad for the... I think you're supposed to feel worse for his kid than you are for him. Mm -hmm. Because that is the thing. You want to, there to be some redeeming quality to this guy. And maybe it's the fact that he, too, is willing to, you know go to hilarious lengths just to get this toy that his kid wants. But, but it is, it, as the movie goes on after they first meet up and it like their situations become apparent to each other, he does just keep kind of getting crappier as you go along. Like he gets less and less likable and more just like, okay, this guy's just trying to screw over the other dad. Now he's not trying to find the toy. He's just actively trying to make sure that uh, Arnold doesn't get it. Yeah. And it, it is, you do lose the, the magic a little bit with Myron, especially toward the tail end of the film, which makes sense because he puts on a supervillain costume before the end of it. But at the same time, especially with the Christmas movie aspect, I was expecting a little bit more of a happier ending for him too. Would have been nice to see him get the toy or even see his kid or something to get some kind of resolution, but he really doesn't get it. Yeah, no. And that, I mean, Myron could also be used as the cautionary tale for Howard, which would have been fine, right? Like have someone be just that little bit further than Howard was going to go, but we didn't get that. Like the, the, the redemption moment for Howard came when he was about to steal from his neighbor it had nothing to do with Myron. If Myron is the cautionary tale, then it makes sense. And you don't need redemption for Myron. You need Myron to be that bad for Howard to realize the road that he's going down. But instead, Myron is just, he's not a good guy. He's, no. he's not, at no point does Myron see the error in his ways. And even if he doesn't, then Howard doesn't see the error of his ways through Myron. And that's not good. No, because if the villain doesn't push the hero to change in some way, it's not that great of a villain. If anyone's familiar with the cycle of the hero, there's the journey into the unknown and the coming out of the unknown back to the status quo. I think the best journey into the unknown is a good villain. That's the best thing that pushes a hero through to become a better person. And that's definitely absent here uh, from somebody, like I said, who literally becomes a supervillain by the end of it in the big, big parade fight. But I loved the character, but you're right. The the writing, and especially towards the end of the movie, it just kind of felt like they had so many situations they wanted uh, Howard slash Arnie to be in that Myron almost gets pushed to the wayside after the big mall fight until the parade comes up. But they had to have Arnie fight the deer. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thing, too, is that you, you could have had that moment on the roof of the building, right? Yes. And if, and if you think about it, if Howard sees that this is what, you know, the consumerism drive of Christmas has led him to all he has to do is fly up to the, the rooftop, you know, while, while his son is, you know, trying to get away from him and he's got the microphone. So he could be trying to talk Myron down to sensibility and everything is broadcast through that microphone. And it's like, 
that would have made sense because then at yeah. that point that's when his wife would have realized exactly who who is in the suit and i can't believe i'm writing a better jingle all the way movie was we're talking no, it's about true this, because but i yeah. said the exact same thing i said wouldn't you think that myron at some point when he has a child on the roof of like when when there's a child in danger now you don't think the cooler heads would prevail even then it does get a little blown out of proportion and i do wish there was a little bit better ending for myron something in the way of not even redemption, but just something like you said, to see the error of his ways instead of just being arrested. And I would have loved to see his kid. That's one thing. Whenever I watch the movie, there just seems to be a big question mark about like what his real drive is behind all of this. Yeah. I mean, because even in the most slapstick and massive disregard for human life Christmas movies that are out there, there's still the moral to the story. Like you know, even if it's slight, like you think of a movie like The Ref, which is actually one of my favorite Christmas films of all time. Um, Dennis Leary still has those redemption moments as well, right? Like he's, it, you still know it's Dennis Leary. You still know like there's bad stuff going on, but there's still redemption for him at that, you know, in that moment. And that makes it a great Christmas movie. Um, I would even say that most Christmas movies main theme is redemption. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like look, look at a Christmas Carol, the biggest the the Christmas story. That whole arc is about Scrooge redemption. Most the Grinch, everything is just about you know personal redemption and trying to get like the feel good holiday spirit back into you after losing it in some tragedy or never having it in the first place. Oh yeah, like even a movie like Eight Bit Christmas, uh, the one that was recent with Neil Patrick Harris. You know, like again, you still had the morals to the story. Myron could have been both the, both the redemption for Howard and the moral of the story at the same time, if only was scripted less slapsticky in that moment. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Phil Hartman. <laughs> Freaking love Phil Hartman. As Ted Malton, how was Phil Hartman for you? Phil Hartman might be the best part of this movie. And I think a lot of people who watch this on the first viewing will probably agree with me on that because it's a one dimensional, exactly what it, the first t- 10 minutes you see of him on screen. That's the guy you're getting the whole time. He's just really trying to get with Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife and will do anything to do it. He's the handyman of the neighborhood. All the other moms know. I, just, I absolutely love this character. I think he's hilarious. He had some of the best parts in the movie involving Arnold also involve Phil when he's going out to try to get into his car. Hey, it's a little wintery out. You know, you're getting slippery. You should probably put some chains on those tires. And Arnold just mumbles and put a couple chains on you. And he just goes, what? And all I can hear is, is Troy McClure from the Simpsons. So it just, I absolutely love Phil Hartman and I love this character. I think he's one of the funniest parts of this movie that stays great throughout. See, I think for me, it- Troy McClure was not the the character that came to mind. For, to me, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time is News Radio. Oh, yeah. And it's like the real deal with Bill McNeil moved next door to Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's kind of how it felt. Like, Bill McNeil, the way that he played that character is almost the exact same way that he played Ted you know, like the same mannerisms, the same, okay, do this and do that. And it'll be okay. All right, good. And it's like, yes, that it's almost like he workshop Bill McNeil in jingle all the way. And then just basically translated it to news radio. It, it was so good. The character is kind of timeless. Like you could easily, that that's the, one of the few parts of this movie also that's not dated. You could put that same character in a movie today and it would still land just as funny. Because everybody kind of knows a guy like that. That is like the single dad that's just kind of on the sly trying to like get in there wherever he can. And it is, he's so sleazy, but does it in such like uh, a reserved way. Like, it's so funny. I love the character so much. I love Ted. It's kind of like if Ned Flanders and Quagmire had a baby. This is kind of how it would turn out. Evil Ned Flanders. That's what I, I have it written down on this on this pad is evil <laughs> Ned Flanders. Because that's what it is. If, if 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 there's evil Abed from Community with a mustache, you slap a mustache on him, the big uh the big uh fluffy mustache, he he is just evil Ned Flanders. Well, I mean, we all know that all you need for most characters to make them evil is a goatee. Yeah. That's that's the line. Once you shave like right here, once you shave like the sides of the mustache off, that's that's when your uh, villain arc begins. Yeah, that, that's that's Star Trek rules. Evil Spock had the goatee. It's wrestling rules because the minute you start growing your facial hair, you know you're about to do a heel turn. Yeah, so, you're going heel. Exactly. Rita Wilson, who played Liz Langston in this, I really liked her in this one. The, the role kind of fit perfectly. Yeah, she was a really good straight man to all of this because she is the only one that actually cares about the kid, even though everybody is like fighting all over the city to try to get their kids toys. She's the only one that actually makes any sense. 
And like we said, there's the part where the kid is dangling at the end from the from the giant Christmas decoration. And she's the only one that's actually acting like a parent would in that situation. So I, I find that there needs to be a character like her in a lot in any one of these movies where it is a lot of slapstick. You have to have the one person that's kind of grounded in reality. And she is. And one of my favorite parts of this is when she does finally uh, get hers over Ted. When Ted tries a little too hard to get handsy and she just straight up pops him in the face. That's one of the best parts of the movie. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, like, when she's upset with Howard, and rightfully so, right? It's not screaming. It's not over. Like, you could tell that this has been a slow burn. And she still loves him despite all his faults, but she kind of pissed and you know like yes like because their son is sad because he did this and couldn't get over his own lack of ability to schedule like it's it's a solid performance that was played like you said like everything else around them is going crazy she needed to be the grounding force and the grounding influence and she was perfect in that and and it it speaks to it because like that's what a lot of mothers are Obviously, especially when you have a husband that's a little bit crazy, the the mother is often the glue that holds everything together. But in this movie, it's really good because at the beginning, it doesn't try to set things up too much. It opens up on the office, and it's just Arnold take a it's the, that bit where he's like, "You're my favorite customer. You're my favorite customer," and he even <laughs> says it to her when he hangs up on his wife. She's just like, "You got to get home. You know his karate recitals at such and such a time." Yep, no problem. I'll be there. Don't forget, you're my favorite customer. And it's, it's, she's really, really good because, uh, yeah, like you said, she's the grounding force of all of this. And it does feel like in all kind of the madcap craziness, there has to be at least somebody who seems like they're being a real parent. And she, she plays it really, really well and has heart because, like you said, you can tell the character does still love Howard, but is just kind of starting to get fed up with all the BS that, that the job brings. And it's, it's interesting because that's another reason why I really like this movie it just explores dynamics that you don't really see a lot. And that is part of Christmas. That, like there is going to be busy parents that like don't have enough time for the fun stuff. And there's going to be the one parent that's like, well, why don't you? And you know, I, I kind of had to growing up. Well, my parents were super busy and not a bad thing. It was never like this. My dad never dressed up as turbo man and had to save me from a parade or anything like that. But also but your dad never dressed up as turbo man and saved turbo you from man. a parade. Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna, as soon as this is done, I'm going out there and I'm being like, listen, we got to talk. But, um, <laughs> But no, it's it's interesting to see dynamics explored around the holidays that don't necessarily get explored. And that is that is something. There are parents that miss stuff, and that does have an effect. So it's cool to see that almost get played out on the screen. Oh, yeah. Jake Lloyd. And of course, we all know Jake Lloyd as being Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Phantom Menace as Jamie Langston. Again, I really liked him in this. I did too. He was a great child actor. Like I know he unfortunately got an absolute life-changing amount of hate for the Star Wars prequels to the point where he doesn't do much now because of the amount of, of flack he got. But if you look outside of that, even in the prequels, he was really good. He's great in this movie. For someone that's his age, he does play it really, really well. And he's in it a lot. And there's a lot of speaking roles and there's a lot of stunts involved where he's there. And it's, it's really interesting to see a kid play alongside Arnold and he does kind of steal it in a couple of instances, like especially in the parade. I think that was when Jamie's character really was at his strongest was during the parade scene. And that was me, man. When I was a kid, that was me and Batman. Like that was 100% how I was. So I, I see a lot of myself in there too. I mean, the key thing with, with Jake Lloyd and, and I need to put this out there. Star Wars, the Phantom Menace has two 
major problems for me and jake lloyd is neither of them no it's the cgi which definitely does not hold up to this day especially when you get to the the big fight scene at the end and all the you know as my as my son would call them the rogers would show up and like that that battle is so like it definitely doesn't hold up and the other thing is george lucas like this yes the script that he had didn't do him any favors but if you actually watch the making of special that came with the DVD, and yes, I said physical media, so go buy a DVD of Star Wars The Phantom Menace, you know, Jake Lloyd is doing actually a really, really good job um, with what he has to work with and gave a good performance. And in this, it's that perfect level, right? It's like you got one part optimistic, you got one part um, in all about like as as passionate about what you are passionate about as most kids are and the the understandable disappointment right because when you're that age you deal in absolutes and you can't necessarily weigh one with the other and even though you sit there and say it's okay dad we'll do something else like you, you can tell they're still hurt and, and it's good because he does it really, really well. Because like you said, kids don't necessarily understand. They don't have jobs. They don't know how things how things work and the pressure that comes with that kind of stuff. And he plays it really well to be in that situation, like you said, of like doesn't get what he wants and, oh, it's okay. But he plays it really well of knowing and, the, you know, it's not okay. You can see how sad that kid is. He For, like, for someone his age and for the, the roles he had and the amount of pressure that came with those roles – that's what I always look at when I look at a child actor. Not necessarily the movies they were in, but the circumstances surrounding them. Oh, like yeah. You're, you, he walked into the Phantom Menace at the age he was like, it doesn't matter how old you know in the back of your head. Like, okay, this is massive. Like, I, I have a ton on my shoulders right now. And this movie, in some respect, too, you're walking into a movie where you've got Arnold sitting across the table for the table read with you. Like, it's it's a lot of pressure for somebody that was his age at the time. And in, in child actor terms, I think he was a really, really good one. And unfortunately, that gets muddled and lost to time a little bit because of the hate from The Phantom Menace. And if you ever want a really good example of his work outside of that, watch this because the, the kid is amazing in this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is the kind of role that that a kid actor kind of revels in, right? Yes. He, he doesn't have to, unlike Home Alone, where, where you know, uh, Macaulay Culkin, of course, was the center of everything and had to carry the movie on his back. Jake Lloyd could just be, you know, the reason for the characters doing the everything. And he plays that well enough in a way that, yes, you know, if if he's your kid, you understand why the, why the father is doing so, as much as he is. It didn't have to be that way if he just remembered to do things, but still, regardless of, you know, he's trying to overcome his own faults to make it right. So you understand that. Yeah. And, and you, can, you can see the family dynamic play out, too. Like all three of them are really good at playing members of a family. Like you, you could put them in front of me just in live action and tell me that they're all actually related, especially from the work in this movie. And it plays really well. Like, I don't know if it's the chemistry between them. I don't know what it is, but it just Rita, Jake and Arnold all really worked well in a, in a capsule kind of when it's just all them in the house. It's a really good family dynamic. Robert Conrad, who played officer Hummel, the, the cop that keeps bumping into Howard and Myron, you know, throughout the whole film. I love the fact that he's not like, you know, that typical hard nosed cop. I mean, yeah, he's completely out of the to give, 
but it's not in an angry kind of way. No, he's just kind of the old grizzled member of the force who's just incredibly sick of all the bull going on around him surrounding the holidays. And honestly, as movie cops go, is probably the most rational and the most non-hot-headed out of anyone you'll see. He reacts to situations just as any kind, anybody kind of would. There's bomb threats being called in and, like, pulling this guy over for speeding, and he's just, I'm in a big hurry. Like, I'm a businessman. I got to go. Like, anybody's going to react the same way to that when he pulls over Howard at the beginning. And I, I think he's a solid character here. I think it's a nice foil for all the Three Stooges craziness that's going on. Like, he's actually one of the characters that makes it feel more like a Three Stooges slapstick fest because there's always that one kind of foil for them. There's always like the landlord or somebody that's there to just poke their head and be like, what's going on in here? And everybody has to pause and act like there's nothing. And he's kind of that character for this. I mean, the nice thing is it's it's not played for more slapstick. You know, if you would put someone like a, and I'm just going to use this as an example because he has played the bubbling cop before. If you had put a Don Knotts type of character into this, then it would have just added more insanity to it. Here, it just adds, you know, a bit of sarcasm to the events that are happening around him. He's not contributing to it except for the time when he says he's part of the bomb squad and the fact that I'm saying it that way, you know exactly what happens here. Yes. But, but he, he's not adding to the chaos. He's just, he's almost like the, the the audience reaction. Like, yes, because we completely all need to get out of your way, sir, so you can drive down the side of the road and get past road. everybody. Exactly. And that's, I think that's how anybody would react. And that's usually with, with, with a movie copy, they would try to blow it out of proportion. And it would be like, he's the evil one. But I like that they didn't go this route. And he's kind of just like trying to deal with the stupidity that's going on around him. All right. There are a ton of smaller roles in this with some decent cameos and decent actors in those roles. So we're going to go through some of those. James Belushi, who was the main mall Santa. It took me a second to realize it was James Belushi. But as soon as you hear the voice, like, okay, there he is. Um, This was a fun one. Yeah, it kind of comes out of left field, too, because they don't really drum it up any. He's just there. But uh, a great addition. Like, a lot of really cool cameos in this, like you said. But uh, he's the one that caught, catches you the most off guard because he it's one of those cameos that even I forget about, even though I've seen this a bunch, until I rewatch it. And all of a sudden, it's, oh, yeah, he's in this, too. And then, of course, there's his elf, Danny Woodburn, who adds to the skeeziness of the duo. Yeah, who's always good in that role. He's done it, like you said, in a couple other couple other Christmas movies. He's kind of been typecast there, but uh, he's he's great in it. There's a reason he always gets put there. It's because he's good at it. Then, of course, they get to you know the the black market Santa workshop, and you know Schwarzenegger starts beating up some Santas. Then all of a sudden, it's the big show. It's my favorite cameo of this movie, as you could easily suspect. It would be my favorite cameo of this movie. The Santa fight's my favorite part of the movie the santa fight and the parade are my two are my two highlights and uh the big show it just makes sense he's he's very funny always up to do anything he was the new year's baby of course he's going to be the big santa that he has to fight in the in the russian warehouse of cheap knockoff toys it's it's great yeah speaking of actors who are actually really good comedic actors paul white was good by the way in that whole scene there's an uncredited appearance by Vern troyer what yep where is he? Go back and watch it. I'm going to have to now. I'll have to watch it again. 
at the radio station uh, where they're trying to give away the gift certificate or at least the certificate that says you will eventually get a toy, Martin Mull. How was he for you? I, I liked the radio the radio bits where it's you no know, it turns out you're going to get one because it's so real as to as to what would happen today. But uh, Martin was good. He's one of the more forgettable ones, I think, even though Martin is really good in Clue and all the other stuff he's been in. Mr. Mom is also hilarious. I love Mr. Mom. But uh, he was one of the more forgettable ones here. I think it's just because that whole scene gets kind of wrapped up with the bomb thing that you don't remember it as much. Hmm. When Jamie is watching the Turbo Man TV show at the beginning of the film, take a look closely at who's actually in the Turbo Man TV show. As Turbo Man himself, Daniel Reardon. But as the First Lady, SNL alum Lorraine Newman. As Dementor in that TV show, it's Richard Maul who played Bull in Night Court. And as the president, it's Harvey Corman. And if you want to know his, you know, history with Christmas specials, Harvey Corman was in the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> as Chef Gormanda, Krellman, and the toy video instructor. And the fact that I get to bring up the Star Wars Holiday Special, I'm sorry, not sorry. I'm almost, I, I went into this and I said to myself, he's going to probably bring up the Star Wars Christmas episode <laughs> and Big Show. I was like, the two things he's definitely going to touch on is Big Show and somehow he's going to sneak that horrible Ewok thing in there. Oh, the, the fact that, you know, how much of it is, is said in Shri Rook? Like, nope. And then nope. there's an entire Duran Duran performance in the middle of the special. <laughs> no, no, it's not Duran Duran. Oh, no, it's not Duran. Who is it? It's um, I think it's Jefferson Starship. It was Jefferson Starship. Why did I think it was Duran Duran? Because it would fit well if it was a few years later, but yeah. it makes sense. But it just That whole thing is a fever dream. An entire special is a fever dream. Just do yourself a favor. Watch the honest trailer of the Star Wars holiday special. Just, just trust me. Just just trust me. It's all you need to watch. But when you take a look at that section of the film, it really kind of plays on the whole idea of like shows like the Money Morphin Power Rangers and shows that are literally created to push toys. And it kind of makes a lot of sense in this film. Oh yeah, that's that that was the whole point, right? That first episode of Turbo Man that you see, it's very 90s uh Saban kind of thing. It's very Power Rangers. It's very Bionicles. It's very like, hey, look at all these marketable things that you can go out and purchase. The blasters on his wrists and the Turbo Man suit and the action figures of Booster, even though nobody wants Booster, and Turbo Man and Dementor. It's it's very clear what they were trying to spoof. And they did it well because, honestly, I would have loved to watch a Turbo Man show when I was a kid. I would have bought one of the action figures if they weren't $118 or whatever ludicrous number you threw out earlier. <laughs> well, that's 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 today dollars right now, yes. right? By the way, there are also Funko Pops of Turbo Man. Those are regular price, but you can find them out there. I would get one there. of those. Oh, absolutely. I would get one of those. But the, you, th you think about it too, right? Like every toy that ever comes out, or every show that ever comes out, you know the whole thought process behind it is how are we going to sell the toys? You know, even if you go over to um, uh, Disney Plus and you watch the Marvel 616 documentary series and they're talking about Japanese Spider-Man, you know, you, you, they're talking about how they can 
make toys out of this series so they can sell it to the kids because that's what it's for. I mean, hell, yes. tra- Transformers, G.I. Joe, like you can sit there and just start listing the everything. And I'm sure every, right now anyone listening to this is like, no, I remember this show and I wanted this toy and I remember this show and I wanted this toy. Like even as we were talking you know, this is episodes ago about the gem and the holograms movie. Carrie was talking about wanting like the gem car. So like we all have those toys that we wanted. Even today, even today, there's a lot of shows that are basically just built around. How can we market this? So as many kids want to buy as many toys as possible, you've got, you know, your monster highs, you've got your blueies and stuff like that. And all of it is just, let's see if we can brand the crap out of this obviously i don't think it's as bad today as it was in decades past like you said the transformers era basically every cartoon was just marketing transformers mask uh street sharks if anyone remembers street sharks like even teenage mutant ninja turtles and they started to come out with the tv show yes it was based off a comic book but it was because they had every kind of toy you can imagine and every character from the show you could go out and you could buy them that was the big thing for a lot of shows then even tiny little minuscule, not that important characters. Like in Transformers, the one I always loved was Soundwave, the one that turned into a tape deck. Mm-hmm. And you can go out and find Soundwave, even though he wasn't like a big member of the team. And this is, I think, when the time frame of this show came out, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to spoof that uh, that kind of programming. Is this where I tell you that next year, 2024, is the 40th anniversary of Transformers and they are reissuing Soundwave. I want it. I want it immediately. That's that's next year's Christmas gift. I'm going to make my dad run all over the city and try to find that for me. Right. <laughs> I'm. <clears throat> I'd be lying if I said it wasn't already on its way to me. But you know, that's <laughs> that's what being an adult is all about. You that, don't have that's to right. Search for it. You can just go get it yourself. Exactly. Thank you, online shopping. But but it's true though. And and even you take a look at shows like. Paw Patrol is is a big one, right? Where everything is a toy. Um, like you, and before that, you had like Octonauts. You had uh, the anything Pixar, right? So the Cars movies, every car that was in those movies, even if they didn't have a line, you were able to buy that car. Like Toy Story, Toy Story, right? Literally, like there, the whole point of that movie was the toys come alive. Don't tell me that wasn't a marketing ploy to go and get yourself a Woody and Buzz and then to see if you can turn the lights off and run away and then come back real quick, see the move or something like that. Oh, and go out there and try to get a Buzz Lightyear when Toy Story came out. Probably the same thing that happened in Jingle All the Way. Absolutely. It created this mad dash for that one thing because there was only one company making them, one official one, just like the Turbo Man in the show. He gets like the one that speaks the different languages and stuff, the knockoff, but there's only the one company that makes it in the box like you see it on TV. I mean, like even when we were talking about the, the radio DJ and the first thing that came to mind uh, when you said like, yeah, no, that would happen. It's just, it's a certificate to eventually get one. You know, you think about like the Star Trek set, sorry, the Star Wars set where all you got was like the backboard and it was like your promise that you you would have you would have the toys when they actually made them because they didn't have enough toys to fill the demand or even when the mandalorian came out and everyone was like well where are the grogu toys like because you couldn't get any no couldn't get anything when the man when mandalorian first came out i remember you couldn't even find merch 
at one point because everyone that had t-shirts was out of shirts. When something gets, especially now with instant gratification and everybody, like you said, being the click of a button away from getting whatever they want to their door tomorrow if you've got Prime. It, it's interesting to see that happen. You know how popular a show is now, even more so than back then. Obviously, back then, the demand was huge. But now, when something's sold out, like, if you truly can't find something you're looking for online now, that's when you know the show is huge. Because I remember when The Mandalorian first came out, I was looking for some Gorgu gifts for people for Christmas. And I couldn't even find them on the Amazons. I couldn't. They was always waitlisted and stuff like that. That's kind of the measure of a show now. Like if you're going on Amazon and you can't find merch for the show you're watching because it's sold out, it's it's truly done very, very well. Yeah, and the other thing too is, at least with The Mandalorian, I mean, it came out during the pandemic. So, you know, manufacturing probably wasn't what it was supposed to, or what it could have been. Uh, obviously, shipping wasn't what it was going to be. Like, so and people were sitting there online shopping all the time, much more than they are now. Wouldn't know anything about that. No, <laughs> would not know a single damn thing about that. No, yeah. no, no, no. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I got a few books to get through. Um, <laughs> one of the knocks I have on this film and it's getting back to the slapstick humor of this is the jetpack scene near the end. And it looks so bad. Oh, it's so obviously on wires. It's not even funny. They, it's I don't know what happened because a lot of the other stunts they do are pretty well done, mm-hmm. but that one is a big sore thumb sticking. Yeah, right out. And that's the problem is that when you have things that work on a slapstick level, and up to this point, they had done fairly well. Um, the madcap antics with the with the Santa Claus beatdown, um, the postal worker th- you know says he's got a bomb in order to be able to get the toy like all this played into what they had and then you had this big thing and it's like at one point it looks like you know he's glitching into the wall as he's hitting into it like it's just so poorly done and it all of a sudden pulled me out of what i was enjoying yeah and there's a couple other ones that happen too where it's just you can just you can see the wires like i said you can just see kind of the the smoke and mirrors a little bit and it does take you out of it when it's supposed to be the big crux of the film, right? You're supposed to be at the big opus of here. He's become turbo man. He's the hero. His kid wants both metaphorically and literally he's wearing the suit and everything. And it, and it is the, at the end of the parade scene, it's really good. But that first, especially when he's circling and spinning, going up into the, that's, Oh, it looks rough. Really, really rough. One of the other things that, that had me questioning or at least wishing for a better script so when we get to the end, and again, I, I said spoilers a long time ago. So if you're this far into the show right now, you've given up. Um, finally, Jamie gets the toy. And Myron's being arrested. And then Jamie walks up to Myron and gives him the toy. At no point have we been has Jamie been given reason to feel bad for Myron. And also, no kid's doing that. Of course not. There's no kid who's that toy that he wanted that bad is just going to give it away to somebody who was quite literally 10 minutes ago, holding him off the edge of a building. Yeah. It's, it's like they, they had to shoehorn in that Hallmarky style ending, like the, the feel good ending. I think had we had that moment where Howard tells Myron that, you know, to, to stop what he's doing, you know, the, 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 the true spirit of Christmas, you know, like there's your Hallmark moment. And then Jamie sees that 
you know, what his dad's been going through. And then Jamie realizes that Myron was going through this. Like that would have made sense, but the way it is, and maybe, and maybe it's a cut scene or whatever the case may be, but the way it is, it just feels too gushy. Yeah. And it feels like it's shoehorned. It definitely feels like they're like, well, we can't give, we can't like let it just hang on that. We can't just give him the toy. There's gotta be something that happens to, I don't know why maybe not necessarily redeem Myron, but maybe they were trying to make the kid look less materialistic or trying to give the kid that feel good awe moment. But I think that's when the family is back together. That, that, like, I just think it was like, like you said, shoehorned in to kind of make it hallmarky at the end. And, oh, it's a Christmas movie. Everybody's got to be a little bit happy. But at the same time, I just don't think it plays into anybody's character that well. Because I don't care who, how well-mannered your kid is. If you give them the toy they wish for for Christmas, they're not going to give it away to a grown man that they don't know. Exactly. On an, a recent episode of Keep Watch Pass, the uh, movie's mostly in black and white episode, I will admit that I went on a bit of a, um, a tirade about movies like It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, and the, the Christmas movies that really come away way too preachy. And in that yes. episode, I was talking about films like like Violent Night and The Ref and Scrooged and the films that aren't, you know, didactic about, you know, the goodness of the Christmas spirit. Yeah. And this film kind of fits into that fun madcap slapstick kind of, you know, takes the piss out of Christmas shopping. In the pantheon of Christmas films, how does this rank for you? I think this ranks in my top five. Honestly, it, it beats out a lot of movies that other people probably wouldn't put up there. But I think you hit the nail on the head. This touches a nerve about Christmas that a lot of people, A, don't like to admit is there. Christmas is so commercial and Christmas is so insane and stressful and not necessarily fun and warm and mushy for a lot of people because it's stressful. It's expensive. You're running around all over the place trying to find the things that people like. And none of the other movies, Christmas movies especially, touch on that. Most of the time, the shopping experience is great and everyone's happy and everybody gets what they want and blah, 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 blah. And there's no behind the scenes look at, yeah, but look at all the friggin' work your parents have to put in to make this happen kind of thing. So I think this is a rare movie that shows, just like you said, a part of Christmas that does not get talked about nearly enough. And I think it's untapped. There are so much, so many more funny comedies that you could take from this almost blueprint of, of the shopping madness of Christmas. You could make so much out of this. And, and run with it. Not even just a remake of this movie. You could do so many other things in today's age with the video games and trying to get like a game system or something like that. I, I This ranks really high for me and always will. This is a yearly must watch for me come the holidays. What is your favorite Christmas movie of all time? God. It is a very, very hard toss up between Jim Carrey's Grinch and the Polar Express for different reasons. Yes, the Polar Express is Uncanny Valley Nightmare Fuel today, but when it came out <laughs> and when I was a kid, it was amazing and, and awesome, and the message is really cool, and the bell is amazing. I just don't think anyone's ever going to beat Jim Carrey as the Grinch. No. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch did well. He did, but I think there's something to be said about the fact that that's a practical suit, and it's live action, and they built Whoville and did it all... In, that movie holds up today, like effects and set design wise. That is a marvel that does not get the credit it deserves. 
Jim Carrey had to sit for three, four hours in makeup every day. He had to get trained by a Marine torture expert to get him to be able to sit for the makeup because Jim Carrey is claustrophobic and had to get over that to wear a wetsuit that basically has a yak on it for the Grinch. <laughs> and I just, I, I love the making of it. I love the story itself. It's Dr. Seuss done amazingly. Jim Carrey is definitely number one, but Polar Express is like right there at number two. See, coincidentally, I had to you know get trained by a military torture expert to get through the number 23. So, you know... <laughs> Just we saying. All, I'm just saying. A man is haunted by a number. That's a terrible idea for a movie. Exactly. Okay, so it has come time. So, Lyle, who is your MVP of Jingle All the Way? Of course, I want to say Arnold because he's hilarious, but my MVP is Phil Hartman as Ted. Just because <laughs> of most of the quotes that come from Arnold that make this movie great, he is reacting to something that Ted said. So, Phil Hartman's my MVP. I was going to initially give it to Rita Wilson because I think she brought a lot of good grounding to the film. But you're right. I'm going with Phil Hartman as my MVP, right? How can you not? It's so funny. Everything. He's got the big camcorder at the at the Taekwondo recite. It's just amazing. It's so funny. And it makes you remember just how good Phil Hartman was and how much he is missed. And, and how... Everything, all the comedy that he does still holds up today. Oh, absolutely. All of his projects where he is like a main role are are still incredibly funny. Oh, yeah. I I still, to this day, if I get a chance to, I will happily watch News Radio because it is. It's one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. And he's he's also, I think he was in Third Rock to the Sun a lot, too. And that is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. I've seen him a lot in that as well. Okay, before we go, though, before we go, two things. A, were you aware that there is a jingle all the way to? I am. I am aware of that. Starring Larry the Cable Guy. Oh, my God. It's just, it's one of those things where we don't talk about it. I just pretend it didn't happen. As with most Larry the Cable Guy movies outside of Cars, you just pretend they didn't happen and move along. Larry the Cable Guy, Health Inspector, and that abomination. That is Jingle All the Way too. It is all of the fun and charm that this one had that makes it like an underrated gem. You can tell they were trying to milk it. And they were like, oh, well, we can just do that again. Except, But the whole point of it was that you had somebody that didn't look like they belonged in the situation there. And Larry the Cable Guy does look like the guy who would be in that exact situation. So That being said, too, it kind of follows a trend. They came out first, mind you. So maybe it set the trend of movies that were originally starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, then the sequel had nothing to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger, just like 2016's Kindergarten Cop 2, which stars Dolph Lundgren. That one at least seems like they tried a little bit, because Dolph and Arnold, like, on paper, I could see how somebody makes sense. But who takes the script for Jingle All the Way 2 and they're like, who do we want to get? Somebody in the boardroom stands up, Larry the Cable Guy. What? Like how that that's not even seven degrees of separation. That's like going from one side of the planet to the other. (laughs) But mind you, if you can make it your way from Arnold Schwarzenegger to Larry the Cable Guy in six steps, like if you pull the Kevin Bacon there, I'd I'd be very impressed. That's it's it's insane. Like Larry the Cable Guy's comedy 
is passable, but acting, ooh, not a strong suit. <laughs> okay, Lyle, let us know and let our viewers know and our listeners where they can find you out there on the interwebs. Out on the interwebs, you can find me on X, obviously, at Lyle Robbershaw. Also, watch your Anthem Sports and Entertainment. I do pop up a couple of times there in some of the Impact Wrestling stuff. I'm doing a little bit of work for them now. And, of course, you go back, listen to some of the archives. 640 Toronto did appear on a lot of shows there as well. All right, Lyle, thank you so much. And you know there's always a spot for you on the show. The mic is always waiting for you. As Arnold says, I'll be back. (laughs) Excellent. And now, dear listeners, you guys know the drill. If there's a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in Christmas that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on social media at NotThatBadCast. Go to our website at notthatbadcast.com and it should be known that as well as finding all of our shows on all of your typical podcast platforms, we are now also on YouTube so you can find this show really wherever you are. Until next time, Lyle, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you guys so much. This is It's Not That Bad, a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.